Elisha's words are pure. Um, we are called to challenge sometimes, but even when we do that, it's gracious words. That he mentions here, gracious words are pure. Um, verse 28, read that for me. Look at the contrast between the two words that start with P there. One is ponders, the other one is pours out. Ponder, you get, you get, the, sense, you, you get the scene that they're thinking deeply before they speak, right? You've heard that before. Think before you speak. We even say count to three to give you a chance, yourself a chance to, to think. Pours out is just in a moment, whatever they think. It's just bam, I'm going to hit you with it. Um, some people are really good at that. I mean, in rap, they call it the flow, right? They can just throw stuff out in, in a moment. Um, but that is not always the best way to come, even if you're good at a, at a quick uh, response or quirky uh, response or reply to somebody. Um, give it thought um, and speak wisely. All right, so we, we see there that God actually has a lot to say about what we have to say and how we do it and, and what we accomplish with it. Um, kind of a summary here is verse 3. Can someone read that? Okay, not only his eyes, but his ears. <laughs> eyes and ears, you can say that of God. But the point is, God is watching everything that is going on. He's aware. And we shouldn't act or be tempted to act like he doesn't know, he doesn't hear, or that it doesn't matter. He's keeping watch. Um, it says, watch over the evil and the good. Um, one of the reasons why we can give a sharp response to someone is we have the sense of retaliation. I want to get them back for, for what they've done. What they said was not good, it was not right, and I want to get them back. And um, there's, there's a time for um, responding or even rebuking, but in that time, we, also, we, we have to keep in mind God is the one that sets things straight. And so I don't have to feel a need to retaliate to every act. Um, I, need to, I need to have faith and trust that God will do um, according to his purpose, according to his will. Um, that's not to say that we are passive in everything that we do. It's just that we are giving room to the Holy Spirit. We're very thoughtful in what we do and how we respond and we want to please God in, in all that we do. I want to cover one more thing before I close. A couple of things it says in this chapter. Um, we just picked out some of the verses that deal with speech and didn't even really talk about all of them, but a couple of things it points out in this chapter that are abomination to God. Look at verse 8 and 9. Can someone read 8 and someone else read verse 9? One is acceptable and one is not. One is an abomination. What is an abomination to the Lord? Sacrifice of, of who? Of the wicked. Um, when they are, um, Elder Brian was talking last uh, on Sunday about um, 
the appearance, doing things for the appearance only. Uh, when the wicked are trying to act like they serve God or please God, that's abomination to him. But in contrast to that, it says the prayers, the prayers of the upright is acceptable. We come tonight to pray, and God wants to hear from his people, from his children, and that's acceptable to him. Now, verse 9, someone can read that. It's an abomination God hates. He sets his, his face against the way of the wicked. What's the way? The things that they do that are not pleasing to him. Last month we had Pride Month and we talked a lot about that. God is not pleased with that wicked gloating in their wickedness and their sin. Um, but it says in contrast to that, um, those he loves him who pursues righteousness. We come because we love God. We want to pursue what is right, what God says is good, what God says is right. And a couple other things of abomination, verse 25 and 26. Can someone read that for us? Okay, doesn't use the word, word abomination here, but he's tearing down something he doesn't like. The, the house of the proud. I guess that's a way of saying the things that that those who are haughty against the Lord raise themselves up to do and to accomplish, God will tear those down. Um, but he maintains the widow's boundaries. And that's the widow. Widow is thought of a person who doesn't really have much uh, material good, uh, economic um, power. But God holds and protects the little stuff that she has. And that's what he's saying there. He, he holds that pressure. Then the next verse, the last one we'll look at, Verse 26, someone read that for us. Abomination. Okay. Yeah, we read that, but it comes in play here. Their, their very thoughts is something God stands against. It's an abomination to him. Um, the, word, the world doesn't even like that word today. If you were to stand on the corner and talk about what's an abomination to God, they would think of you to be prideful, arrogant, uh, and yet it's not us speaking. It's, it's, we're just saying what God has said. But gracious words are pure in contrast to that. This is what God loves. This is what God hates. This is what God will, will severely uh, punish. And this is what God lifts up and promotes. And this is uh, what, he, what he loves. So let's take a look at wisdom from, from Proverbs and let's act upon it. Good evening, saints. <clears throat> we've been meditating through the book of Hebrews. We've been talking about the three keys, that there are three ages being discussed. There's a big focus on who Jesus is and what his ministry is. And then, this is written so that we might believe. And to believe is to put faith into the Lord. And so we get to chapter 11 and we start to get to the dramatic high point of the book. And so let's just delve into chapter 11. Of course, I would love to be able to do chapter 11 in one sitting, but it's just too long. So we'll have to cut it. Maybe we'll just cut it in an awkward place. It may seem like an awkward place, but there's just no other way to do it. It's all meant to be taken in one shot. 
is not really meant to be cut in half like what we're going to do, but we're going to cut it in half. Let's just read, and we'll start Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hopeful, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And while faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God and concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not going, knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promises, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose desire and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be, be, offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. All right, we'll stop there. Like I said, it's going to be an awkward place to stop, but it's not really meant a chapter that's meant to be stopped. But let's just talk about it. What's the main word of the chapter? Good, good. Faith is mentioned. What's the second biggest word that's mentioned over and over? It has to do with the main point that we're going to talk about here. Verse 2. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Okay? And you might say, well, Brian, I don't see that word that much. But look at verse 4. Through Abel offered a more sacrifice through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him. Verse 5. At the end, taken, he was commended as having pleased God. 
right? Committed is something that's repeated over and over. What is he saying? Well, <clears throat> he's following a formula that he set up. And he's following this thing, and you'll find this in a lot of documents. In fact, if you go to school, they'll tell you to write papers like this. You start with a premise, and then you give examples to prove your premise. What is a premise? A premise is saying, hey, if you work hard, you will succeed. Let me give you examples of that. And then you give your examples of that. Well, his premise starts in verse 1 through 3. Faith is, he defines it. That's very important whenever you're writing any kind of paper, any kind of document. It just so happens this is a holy document. And so what, how he defines faith is incredibly important to us. This is not just his opinion. This is God's opinion, which makes it fact. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You are assured that what is coming in the future will be yours. And then faith is the conviction of things not seen. What is a conviction? A conviction is a hard-held belief that can't be taken from you. It's a conviction. Now, I know we often say, I was convicted by the word. And technically speaking, we're kind of using the word wrong, right? What we mean is we're guilty. We felt guilt. But when we really mean conviction, what we mean is I have a conviction that Jesus Christ raised on the cross, raised from the dead. I have a conviction that Jesus lived a perfect life. That's a conviction. It is a hard, impactful belief that can't be shaken in me. I'm convicted by the unseen. What's the unseen? That's God. And so he says, I define what faith is. And he says, by faith, people of old receive their commendation. In other words, God said, hey, good job. Why do you say good job? Because the people have faith. <clears throat> now, people have wrongly read the Old Testament and said, by the Old Testament, they did works. But now in the New Testament, we did faith. This writer puts that all down. So if you ever hear anybody say that, you could say, have you ever read the book of Hebrews? It's pretty clear that you didn't. There is nobody who got into heaven by works. No, not one. Paul explains that in the book of Romans. He says, was Abraham righteous by his works? No, he was not. He believed, and God counted that as him as righteousness. He believed before he was circumcised. So that he will be the father of all those who believe, whether they be Jews or Greeks, right? Whether they be Jew or Gentile, everybody who believes can call themselves a son of Abraham. So then he goes forth and he starts to explain the Bible in ways. And here's the thing I love about the Bible. When the Bible explains the Bible, you see things that you might not have seen. I'll give you an example that's not in this text. Who would have known Lot could have been counted as righteous? Come on now, right? You telling me you saw that? I didn't see that. But if Peter didn't say it, I wouldn't have saw it. Peter said it. It's true. So then we come down, we say, man, I got to reread this one. I got to look at this scripture again. Peter looked at Moses and saw something different than I'm saw. And guess what? If he saw something different, he saw, I saw wrong. Right? I got to be humble. And he's showing us. Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice by faith. Now, we could be fooled, right? And we could fall into the path of Cain. And what's the path of Cain? Cain says, hey, I offered a plant because I was a farmer. And Abel offered an animal because he was, you know, he was a herdsman. Of course he was going to offer an animal. 
just did what was convenient for him. And God just happened to accept it. And he didn't have to accept mine. It's arbitrary. And you might say, that's, is that, that, that's the argument I can't. But that's the armor, argument of homosexuality, right? I happen to love somebody. And sure, it's the same gender as me. And you happen to love somebody that's different gender. What's wrong with that? God just arbitrarily sets his rules. You believe in a God like that? People make arguments like that. When they do, they fall into the path of Cain. They make excuses for people who do right. And that's an odd thing to me. You really shouldn't have to make excuses for people doing right. Are you making excuses for people doing right? It's because you want to ignore the fact that you are willingly doing evil. You are attacking the righteous. It therefore is proven that evil people don't just want tolerance for their sin, they also want to oppress the righteous. Just like Cain wanted to oppress Abel and eventually killed Abel. Why did he kill Abel? Because Abel's deeds were righteous and his were evil. Abel offered a sacrifice to God. What clues did Abel have? Well, first off, God spoke to both of them. God accepted and made it clear. He talked to Cain. Cain could have went and talked to his brother afterwards and said, hey, man, I'm going to trade you three carrots for a lamb. He didn't want to do that. And it's a lot of things that we can learn about the story of Abel. One we can learn is that God requires life and blood. Another one we could understand is, hey, we may not have it in ourselves to pay the cost that God requires. We might have to work with our brother. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in a little story that sometimes we kind of skip over. But the writer of Hebrews brings it out and says, Abel lived by faith. Enoch lived by faith. Enoch walked with God and he pleased God and all of a sudden it says he was not. Now how was he not? Well, Enoch pleased God so much that God said, no, this world is not worthy. Come with me. Now I don't know how holy the man had to have been to be like that. But what we know is he had faith in the Lord and it separated him from his peers. Now Enoch had children and eventually he had a child who was named, who eventually in his descendants, Noah. And Noah pleased God. And everybody else did what they wanted to do. And Noah built an ark. Everybody laughing at Noah building that ark, but they wasn't laughing when the rain came down. That's how righteousness is. Righteousness looks bad until it doesn't. Everybody always talking, and you always going to hear this, and little kids, y'all going to hear this. Somebody going to say, I'm a party down in hell, and people say that stuff. And you know what? God marks down when people say stuff like that because he's going to bring it to their attention when they before him. He said, you was going to party down there, right? So you should really have no problem going down there. but there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not a pleasant place. By faith, Abraham left his land. 
By faith, all these things happen. And what are we seeing? Faith leads to God's blessing, God's acceptance, God's blessing, and then eternal life. By faith, people hope for something that they don't have yet. Abel did not have heaven yet. Noah did not see the flood yet. Abraham did not have a city yet. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were not in the promised land. At least they didn't own the promised land yet. All of the stories are, God said it. I don't have it yet, but I believe it. Now, this is not a name and claim it because they didn't name it. God named it. I'm always worried about people who claim things that God, I didn't hear God say. I get a little worried about people like that because when you're hearing voices, we need to put you in a certain crazy house. Make sure that what you claim is something that God actually said and instructed. And then once it's something that he said, you can claim it all you want because God is a keeper of his promises. What's the lesson that we're learning here? We're learning this. Jesus Christ is worth putting our faith in. We ought to believe in him because just like the men of old believed in him and were blessed, if we believe in him, we will also be blessed. In fact, it is the only way to be blessed. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Christianity is exclusive. I know other people got their own religion. That's called lies. And they got good foundations. I, I agree a lot with my Muslim brothers and sisters out there. I really admire a lot of my Muslim brothers and sisters. They got a lot of discipline. They do a lot of good things in the community. But they will not be in heaven. Because they need to trust in Jesus Christ. Same with my Jewish brothers and sisters out there. I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. They believe half the Bible that I got. But they still missing the fact that Jesus Christ came and died for them. And so we need to bring the truth. The Hebrews is bringing that truth. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. Now he's going to bring it down because right, because we could just put faith as some nebulous thing. He's not going to do that. He's going to later refine and say what the object of our faith should be. But it's important for us to understand that this book is about believing in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. <laughs> I was all like, where, like, where are they? <laughs> they left you. All right, let me just wrap this up here real quick.